This is DW News live from Berlin. Russian President Vladimir Putin speaks out on the standoff over Ukraine. He says the U.S. is ignoring Moscow security concerns, but signals Russia is ready for another round of negotiations. Also coming up, the situation is under control, says President Mbalo of Guinea-Bissau after a coup attempt in the West African country. He says drug traffickers could be to blame, but questions are growing over what really happened. And sell them, sterilize them, or save them. The dilemma over what to do with the dozens of hippos first brought to Colombia by drug lord Pablo Escobar. I'm Sumi Somaskanda. Glad you could join us. Russian President Vladimir Putin has accused the U.S. and its allies of ignoring Moscow security concerns in his first public remarks on the standoff over Ukraine in weeks. He said the West was using Ukraine to hinder Russia's development. Putin signaled he was ready to continue negotiations, but so far neither side has been willing to budge on their positions. For weeks, he has left the talking to others. But now, President Vladimir Putin has accused the United States of trying to drag Russia into conflict. The United States' most important goal is to contain Russia. That's the thing. In this sense, Ukraine itself is just a tool to achieve this goal. This can be done in different ways. One of them is to draw us into armed conflict. Across the border in Kiev, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson offered a show of support to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. Johnson warned that war would be a lose-lose outcome. Russian invasion of Ukraine would be a political disaster, a humanitarian disaster. In my view, it would also be, for Russia, for the world, a military disaster as well. And... Uh, it, uh, the uh, potential invasion completely uh, flies in the face of President Putin's claims to be acting in the interests of the Ukrainian people. Ukraine is not completely relying on diplomacy to protect them. President Zelensky announced a huge addition to his nation's army. We will create a new political cooperation format in Europe between Ukraine, Great Britain and Poland. Within the next three years, we will increase the number of the Ukrainian armed forces by 100,000 professional soldiers. In a video released just hours before Boris Johnson's visit, soldiers tested rocket artillery systems just north of the Crimean Peninsula, which Russia invaded and annexed from Ukraine in 2014. Both sides are preparing for war, while the diplomats try to make peace. Earlier, we spoke to our correspondent, Matthias Bullinger, in Kiev, and we asked him how President Putin's remarks were received in Ukraine. Putin has had a few uh, remarks about Ukraine in the recent month. He has also elaborated on his historical view, has, co uh, has called Ukrainians and Russians, of, has said they, they had been being in a, in a historic union. They were brotherly peoples and uh, has justified his 
his his claims on Ukraine by these historic um, uh, uh, these historic claims. Uh, all this has not been received very well in Ukraine. Uh, Ukrainians see themselves as very distinct of Russians, and increasingly so. While the country was 20 years ago still divided of, of whether uh, on whether it should be leaning towards Russia rather or to the West, this has dramatically shifted in the past few years, especially since uh, 2014, since these proxy wars in uh, the Donbas where Russia is engaged and since the seizure of Crimea. And uh, the, unsurprisingly, Ukraine is looking for other uh, allies to help itself uh, protect, uh, to protect itself. And uh, that is, of course, uh, and for that, Ukraine is looking to the West. So uh, um, uh, in polls, there's a clear majority now uh, saying that Ukraine should join the NATO. Of, of, uh, of course, this is not on the table right now, but this is the direction where Ukraine is heading. Details are emerging after a reported coup in Guinea-Bissau. President Umaro Sissoko Mbalo has said assailants armed with machine guns attacked the government palace for hours while he and the prime minister were inside, but that the situation is now under control. The violence in Guinea-Bissau is the latest in a series of attempted military takeovers in West Africa in recent months, most of which have succeeded. Gunfire near the government seat in Bissau, forcing bystanders to seek shelter. For hours, President Umaro Sissoko Mbalo's whereabouts remained unclear, until he addressed the nation saying several security personnel had been killed in what he called a failed attack against democracy. I was in the middle of the Council of Ministers, with all the members, including the Prime Minister. We were attacked with very heavy weaponry for a duration of five hours, but now everything is under control. The African Union and the UN have both condemned the attempted coup. It is for us clear that uh, coups are totally unacceptable. We are seeing a terrible multiplication of coups, uh, and our strong appeal is for soldiers to go back to the barracks and for the constitutional order to be fully in place in the democratic context of today's Guinea-Bissau. Mbalo's opponents had accused the former army general of election fraud after his victory in the December 2019 polls. He had also recently been at odds with his prime minister following a minor government shake-up. Since independence from Portugal in 1974, Guinea-Bissau has experienced four coups and more than a dozen attempted ones. We can check in on some other headlines now. In Australia, two large bushfires have prompted evacuations on the outskirts of Perth. An emergency warning has been issued with blistering temperatures and high winds threatening to intensify the blazes in the coming days. The fires have burned through some 100 hectares of land since they began on Tuesday. U.S. actor and TV presenter Whoopi Goldberg has been suspended by the ABC network following her remarks about Jews and the Holocaust. Goldberg had said that the Holocaust was not about race, but about man's inhumanity to man. She later apologized after a backlash. 
A Dutch publisher has stopped printing a new book about who betrayed Jewish teenage diarist Anna Frank to the Nazis. The book suggests it was a Jewish notary who led to her capture, but the author's research has been fiercely criticized by academics and historians. The publisher has now apologized and said it should have taken a more critical stance. Pharmaceutical companies BioNTech and Pfizer are seeking emergency authorization from the U.S. for a vaccine developed for children under the age of five. If approved, the extra low doses would be the first in the country to be made available to children above the age of six months. And we have some more developments in the pandemic for you now. Germany has recorded more than 10 million coronavirus cases since the start of the pandemic. More than 200,000 new infections were logged on Tuesday alone, according to the Federal Research Institute. France has started easing COVID-19 restrictions despite record infection numbers in January. Mandatory outdoor mask wearing and capacity limits for large events have been dropped. And Tonga is going into lockdown after port workers delivering humanitarian aid tested positive for the virus. The remote Pacific nation was left devastated by a tsunami after an underwater volcanic eruption last month. Beijing will become the first city in history to host both the Summer and Winter Olympics when this year's games officially begin on Friday. Almost 3,000 athletes will be competing for glory. But with health concerns and political tensions dominating headlines in the buildup, the sports are at risk of becoming a subplot at Beijing 2022. Billions have been invested into making sure Beijing 2022 is successful. Sports fans can enjoy over a hundred events across a range of disciplines. But the build-up to these games has been about so much more than sport. Politics, for instance, where some nations have declared a diplomatic boycott over human rights issues, including Great Britain and the US. They will send athletes, but no ministers or officials will attend. Meanwhile, athletes have been warned that expressing oneself could result in punishments under Chinese law if it's deemed an illegal act. In the Olympic Charter, there are very strict rules. So for the medal ceremonies and during the competitions, they cannot express their opinions. But at other occasions, like at press conferences or during interviews, the athletes are free to express their opinions. But the athletes need to be responsible for what they say. Due to COVID, athletes and journalists will be kept in secure bubbles, while no spectator tickets will be sold to the public. Organizers say health and safety are paramount. Of course, COVID countermeasures are still on top of our agenda. We have been making effective measures and everything is under control. Without a safe games, there would be no games. So we will make sure that the health and safety of all participants is our top priority. So far, there have been more than 20 new COVID-19 cases among games-related personnel. The pandemic proves to be just one of several headaches for organizers of Beijing 2022. Colombia is facing a dilemma over what to do with dozens of hippos. They were first brought there by notorious drug lord Pablo Escobar. He was killed by police almost 30 years ago. And since then, a growing population of hippos has been taking over the countryside near his former ranch. 
Our reporter traveled to Medellin in northern Colombia to discover why scientists and activists are divided over how to deal with the animals. A legacy of drug kingpin Pablo Escobar and a problem that has grown over the years. Colombia's hippos, now the largest population outside of Africa, which is their natural habitat. The so-called king of cocaine brought four of the pachyderms to his ranch. They've now multiplied to more than 90 and are causing havoc. They like it here, especially in high summer when the hippos gather. They swim out there and then reappear somewhere else. They rammed my boat and tipped it over because you can't see them at night. The males aren't so aggressive, but one hit my boat with a big bang. The hippos in Colombia are now the subject of public debate. Animal rights activists insist that the large mammals are completely innocent. But environmentalists criticize the effects the hippos have on the ecosystem and the indigenous fauna. Scientists support an end to the hippos. It sounds rather harsh, but we must clearly state that it must be done. I think that we from the academy must be able to explain why this must be done, even if no one is happy about it. No one wants to kill the hippos. But it's the lesser of two evils in this scenario. The environmental agency has started with harmless birth control, a contraceptive that works with both male and female hippos. The medicine, donated by U.S. animal welfare authorities, is given by injection. Now we must wait and see how the medicine works. Then we'll know if it really will lead to fewer calves. But young hippos often disappear even without medication. The semi-aquatic animals have achieved a kind of cult status among people who wish to imitate Pablo Escobar. Two of the little ones have already been taken away. They were sold. There are a lot of rich people in this country who want to have something like this. The last young hippo was brought to a man who is said to be very powerful. So now there's a market for these exotic animals in Colombia, and they lack natural enemies. That's why this is the largest hippo population outside of Africa where they are indigenous. We just have time for a reminder of our top story. Russian President Vladimir Putin has accused the West of ignoring Moscow's concerns about regional security after the U.S. and NATO responded to demands over the Ukraine crisis. The U.S. and Russia have resumed talks with a phone call between Secretary of State Lincoln and Foreign Minister Lavrov without a breakthrough. DW Business with Chris Cober is up next. Stay tuned. People in trucks injured while trying to flee the city center. More and more refugees are being turned away at the border. Families fleeing bomb attacks in Syria. 
police cracked down in Venezuela against demonstrators. People fleeing extreme drought. A raft carrying 200 people has sunk in the Aegean Sea. Around the world, more than 300 million people are seeking refuge. We ask why? Because no one should have to flee. Make up your own mind. DW. Made for Minds. To raise or not to raise output, that is the question the world's top oil-producing nations aim to answer amid surging demand and prices. We'll have live analysis of the meeting of OPEC Plus members. Also coming up, the EU's top court is to decide today whether the bloc's main gas supplier, Russia's Gazprom, has too much market power. And we'll go to Indonesia, where some tech-savvy entrepreneurs managed to connect people in financial need with willing donors with no strings attached. I'm Chris Kober. Welcome to the program. OPEC Plus is meeting today and is widely expected to hold firm on its existing policies of modest oil output increases, despite prices hitting their highest level since 2014. Top consumers such as the United States and India have pressured the organization of the petroleum exporting countries and its allies to pump much more of the fossil fuel to aid the global economic recovery. But several sources from the group responsible for producing over 40% of global oil supply plans to stick with previously in agreed increases. Let's get more from DW's Fanny Fachar in Vienna, where OPEC is headquartered. Uh, Fanny, demand is rising. Are OPEC Plus members going to increase output? Exactly. Not only the demand, but with that, of course, also oil prices. We are seeing, seeing the seven-year price hike, basically. It's never been as, as, uh, as, as high as seven years ago right now. And the question really is, what's going to happen today at the OPEC Plus meeting here in Vienna? Now, everything indicates toward the 400,000 barrel per day increase, which is not really a significant increase. As you have just said, U.S. and India are pressuring OPEC member countries to actually increase that supply to help caution uh, the effects from high energy prices. But it's unlikely to happen, actually, because a lot of factors indicate uncertainties on the global energy market. Therefore, it's not really expected that there's going to be a significant increase. But when we look at this number, 400,000 barrels per day, it shouldn't be taken as a fact that this is actually the number that's going to be the actual increase that this target will be met. As we have seen during previous months, 400,000 per bar uh, barrel per day was not achieved because simply there are production problems among many countries, very simple problems like oil pipeline problems that need to be fixed, uh, that are, need to be managed, lack of investment among uh, some OPEC plus countries. So different factors weighing in, even though it's decided today most likely that there is going to be a moderate increase of uh, oil, it's unclear whether that target can also be mm. met. Uh, funny, Russia is a major oil producer uh, and it is uh, at the same time entangled in uh, tensions with Ukraine. Experts are fearing an invasion of Russia in Ukraine. The West has threatened uh, Moscow with sanctions. How does this impact the talks today?
it definitely plays a role in some way because we just heard over the weekend the U.S. threatening with uh, sanctions if Russia invades Ukraine. Now, what does that sanction actually entail? Is it going to entail that there is going to be a ban of trade uh, for oil and uh, gas? That, again, of course, affects ultimately oil prices. Now, we are not that far yet, but certainly Russia being one of the top producers of oil and gas is playing a key factor when it comes to influencing the prices, simply the possibility that Russia could itself use oil as a weapon and, and say we are not going to export to certain countries because of this entire situation uh, that you just described, the geopolitical tensions between Russia and Ukraine. It's unclear what's going to happen. We have seen for the past few weeks different rhetoric by uh, various stakeholders. What is going to be clear is something we will see this afternoon unfold in Vienna, whether mm. it's going to be more of a uh, more than just a moderate increase of supply or whether everything is going to stay as it's been decided already last fall, last fall in 2021, right. 400,000 barrels per day, per month, and that's it. DW's Fanny Fachar in Vienna, thank you. The European Court of Justice is expected to give its verdict on the business of Russian gas company Gazprom later today. A Polish competitor had complained that the EU Commission hadn't done enough to put antitrust measures in place against Europe's main gas supplier. But is it even realistic to try to rein in Gazprom with almost half the continent depending on its deliveries? Let's take a look. These pipes help keep Europe warm. Under the sea and above ground, Russian pipelines supply the continent with much needed gas. And they're all operated by a single company, Gazprom. The majority state-owned enterprise controls nearly all Russian gas exports, making it a huge player on the European gas market. We are highly dependent on Russian gas here, especially in those parts of the European Union that almost exclusively acquire gas through Russian pipelines. Gas from Russian reserves has historically made up the biggest chunk of the European gas market. In 2019, Russia made up more than 41% of all gas imports to the EU, while Norwegian imports were only about 16%, followed by Algerian with 7.6%. Liquefied gas can be transported in tanks by sea, for example, but the majority of gas which is not extracted domestically arrives to Europe through pipelines. The northwest of Europe is connected to Norway, while Algeria and Libya supply the south, and the entire east of Europe, with the exception of a line to Azerbaijan, has Russian gas from Gazprom as a main source. This setup leaves some regions dependent on a single importer, and Gazprom has been using this to their advantage. What Gazprom has been trying to implement is a kind of price discrimination strategy in which different countries have different gas prices. Where they control the market without competition, they take full advantage of their powers. In other markets, for example in northwestern Europe, with competition from Norway and through liquid gas imports, they charge less in order to prevent additional imports and being able to sell more. There have been attempts by European leaders to unite for better prices, but due to a system dependent on gas and lack of available alternatives, there is little hope for Europe to strengthen its bargaining power. 
And now to some of the other global business stories making headlines. Google parent company Alphabet has announced a 20 to 1 stock split, meaning it's dividing its existing shares to increase their number, dramatically decreasing the price. The aim is to attract more retail investors. Meanwhile, Alphabet's share price has soared in recent days on the back of booming ad revenue. Sony posted a 32% rise in operating profit for the third quarter to just over $4 billion, beating expectations. The Japanese electronics giant has benefited from strong demand for its PlayStation 5 consoles, even as persistent chip shortages stymies output. Last year, German breweries produced and sold less beer. Sales volumes fell by 2.2% to 8.5 billion liters, the lowest ever recorded as pandemic closures took their toll. However, the overall trend isn't new. German beer sales have been falling by 24% over the past three decades. Indonesia may be Southeast Asia's most vibrant economy, but the pandemic has left many of its people struggling financially. Now That prompted five young professionals from Jakarta to combine their tech savvy with their sense of solidarity. They created a platform which connects users in need with those willing to offer financial support. Scrolling her Instagram account, Mareta Putri, who had just lost her job in an advertising agency, discovered Bagirata, an initiative that promised financial aid without red tape. Actually, I had no income other than selling breakfast. My husband used to work, but he was laid off too in the pandemic. So to feed the family, I tried to sign up for this platform, Bagirata, to have at least some funds to keep my breakfast business going. Bagirata is a wealth distribution platform where the name reflects the aim. It translates to equal share, because this is what Lodi Andrian felt was needed most in the lockdown. With four friends, the 29-year-old designer founded the non-profit organization. Bagirata is a cross-subsidy platform for the people who are affected by the pandemic, especially informal workers who don't get government assistance or who don't get help from their employers or freelancers. So the platform itself allows people who can help financially to be able to get in contact with people who need help. And in the same way, those people can say what they need. More than 4,000 people from all over Indonesia have already received money through Bagirata. The founders have distributed around 90,000 euros in donations. The key to success was that Andrian took advantage of an existing digital infrastructure that had been built up in Indonesia in recent years. He programmed Bagirata as a direct transfer system where the money doesn't have to go through their hands. Donors can directly send funds to beneficiaries through their e-wallet. Almost everybody here uses apps like Ovo, GoPay or Dana, and mobile phones are affordable. Mareta Putri no longer needs the platform, at least for now. Her husband found a new job, and the 28-year-old mother of two is now optimistic that the country's economy will recover too. Now, as inspiring as this service is, it begs the question, why is it even necessary? Did the Indonesian government fail to do enough to prevent people from slipping into financial distress during the pandemic? 
Here's our correspondent, Georg Mattes. Uh, to be fair, when it comes to the government, uh, one has to say that it's facing huge challenges. Uh, if you lock down an economy like Indonesia, uh, that creates enormous problems. And so the government has put out some stimulus packages, uh, some packages uh, to deal with the health sector. In fact, for this year uh, alone, uh, 30 billion uh, euros uh, have been earmarked for various projects. Uh, a lot of that will go into the health uh, sector, but there is some controversy now whether some of that money will, is also uh, planned uh, to be used uh, for the uh, moving of the capital of Jakarta uh, to a different island. And uh, that is what some people uh, reject because they say that the problems we, we have right now are already uh, so big. Georg Matas reporting from Jakarta there. And finally, Wordle, the free online word guessing game that has become a sudden sensation, has a new home. The New York Times company has purchased the application from its developer. Josh Wardle, the game is a play on his name, says the deal is for a low seven-figure amount. Players have six attempts to guess the five-letter word of the day. Wordle has amassed millions of daily users since its October release. Some fans are now worried they may have to pay to play. The Times, however, says it will keep the game free for now, that is. And that is our show for the moment. For more, as usual, go ahead and check out our website at dw.com business. I'm Chris Colbert in Berlin. Thanks for watching. Have yourself a successful day. Living without a home. Close to a million people in Germany are homeless. Even with a job or a pension, they can't afford a permanent place to stay. Their fate is the result of a housing market policy that was doomed to fail. Why isn't more being done to help? Close up. Next on DW. These places in Europe are smashing all the records. Step into a bold adventure. It's the treasure map for modern globetrotters. Discover some of Europe's record-breaking sites. On Euromax, YouTube, and now also in book form.